Hey everybody and welcome back to I Just Want to Talk About the Bible. If this is your first time joining us today, then let me just welcome you and say that I am very glad that you are here. My name is Christian Keeter and I live in the southeast of the United States of America with my amazing, beautiful, godly wife Lacey and our two wonderful daughters Felicity and Serenity. All right. Well, today, guys, we have a bonus episode, which simply means this. This is an additional episode above and beyond the normal pacing of uploads that I try to do. And part of the reason why I wanted to make this into a bonus episode is because a lot of the content that we're going to be discussing today has been touched on uh, in episode 48 of this podcast, which is entitled Five Loaves and Two Fish. That was recorded over a year ago at the time of this recording. And that also explains the title of this episode, uh, Revisiting the 5,000. So there's going to be some overlap in content, although there's going to be additional content as well. And there was enough additional content that I wanted to include it uh, on this podcast. So it is a recording of a lesson that I recently taught uh, at a church service, Mentoring Men for the Master, which is the ministry that I'm on staff with, was invited to come and speak during a mission Sunday. And so I will share with you the recording of that here. And I also just wanted to share that up front because you'll hear me talk a bit about the, the ministry uh, during the sermon and just wanted to uh, give you a little bit more context of when and where all this happened. So... Uh, One last thing before I transition over to the recording of that is simply this. In this sermon, I mentioned to the people who are listening that if they are interested in making disciples or being discipled themselves, then Mentoring Men for the Master wants to help. And I just want to say to you guys, to to you listeners right now, that that same invitation extends to you as well. So what you hear me say in the sermon also applies applies to you. So I will include a link to Mentoring Men's website in the show notes of this episode. And if you want more information, then you can email me at I just want to talk about at gmail.com. And I'll be glad to answer your questions about that. So without further delay, let's go ahead and transition into the recording of the sermon. And I'll hop back in right at the end. Morning, church. I appreciate that. There's a lot more energy in this service than in the previous one. (laughs) Let's hope that persists through the entire message. How are we doing today? Good. Well, my name, like Steve just said, is Christian Keeter. I'm here with my beautiful wife, Lacey, and we have two little girls, Felicity and Serenity. And uh, there we are. And, And it's really an honor to be here, to spend time with you guys. Some of you I already know. This is the church that I attended when I was born again. It was in this baptismal that I was baptized almost 14 years ago. Almost 14 years ago to the day. It's getting close. It was in this choir loft where Mary Jane expected the tenors to hit notes that no man should have to hit. (laughs) But we did our best. And so it's an honor to be back here. It's an honor to see all you guys. So if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 6. We're going to be reading through one of the most well-known miracles of Jesus and drawing out one specific principle from it. One specific principle. However, I will say, although we're going to be drawing out just one thing in particular, we're going to stop a little bit along the way and just, because there's some stuff that's just too good to miss. And uh, 
Last week, we actually went, my family and I, um, and with my mom, who's also here with us today, we went to Dollywood. And uh, for those of you who don't know what Dollywood is, it's like if Disney World got saved and was led to Christ by Dolly Parton. <laughs> it was great. Like, it, it felt so clean physically and spiritually. It was great. It was really wonderful. So the point was to go to and from Dollywood. That's where we were going. However, on the way back, we made an additional stop. And this wasn't the point of the trip, but it was too good to skip. As you're driving up I-95 over the horizon, you see the face of this really weird-looking beaver emerge, and Bucky's appears on the horizon. Now, you might not know what Bucky's is. I didn't know what Bucky's was until a few months ago. It was like Walmart and a gas station had a baby um, and hired somebody to wear a full-body beaver suit and walk around. It was weird, but it was fun, and uh, it was too good to skip. So same with this passage. We are going somewhere in particular with this, but there's some stuff that are just Bucky's moments. We just, you just got to pull over and just got to sit there for just a minute. So Mark 6, we're going to begin in verse 30, but before I do that, let's pray. Lord, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. Jesus, we just corporately acknowledge right now that you are the teacher. You instruct us, Lord. When you taught, it said that the crowds were astonished because you taught as one who has authority, not as the scribes, not as the religious experts. And so, Lord, what we need is we need to hear from you. We need your presence now. Lord, awaken our ears to hear as those who, have, who are taught. Lord, give us ears to hear. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. This is an extremely, like I said, popular miracle in the life of Jesus. It is actually present in all four of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And while we will be drawing from some of the other accounts, we'll be looking at the one in Mark. So verse 30, Mark 6, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. So we'll pause there for just a minute. It's a very busy season. Jesus' fame has spread. He says to his disciples, come away and rest for a little while. A little bit of R&R. Let's just catch our breath, because things are so busy, it said they didn't even have leisure to eat. Imagine if every single time you sat down to take a bite of dinner, someone's knocking on your door. I think we're probably getting close to the feeling. So they withdraw. Continuing verse 32, and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So they withdraw intentionally to be away from people for a minute, just to kind of catch their breath, but the people outrun the boat and are waiting for them on the other shore. They get off the boat, and there, instead of some solitude is a crowd. Now, I know I'm in a room full of very sanctified people, so you wouldn't feel the way that I would feel. But I'd be irritated. I'd be like, oh, this is the exact reason I got in a boat and went across this lake, right? I needed just to catch my breath. I'd be irritated. But how does Jesus respond? How does Jesus respond? Continuing, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. 
we learn from Matthew's account that he also healed people here. So he's healing them, he's teaching them, he's ministering to these people. And his response when, remember, it was Jesus's idea, let's go to the other side of the lake, come away that you may rest for a while. When he saw the crowds, compassion is what gripped him. He felt compassion. The most important thing that could happen in this time right now is that we encounter the Lord and get to know him better. That is why you are in this room, whether you realize it or not. That is the reason we read our Bibles. That is the reason we pray. Jesus said, he said in John 17, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that we may know him. So this is Bucky's. Let's pull over for a minute, okay? This is Bucky's. Because there's something so important here that we can't just gloss over it. And this might be the only thing that you really need to hear today. But it's just to get a little glimpse of Jesus' heart. He was not irritated by the interruption. He welcomed it. He is not irritated when you come to him. He welcomes it. These people were needy. We are needy. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And he saw them as such. And he taught them. And he healed them. When we look at Jesus, Jesus is the perfect representation of God because he is God. The Bible says, Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father, right? And in Hebrews, it says that he is the exact imprint. So if we want to know what God is like, we should look closely at Jesus. And the entire Bible is the inspired authoritative word of God. I'm not saying anything else, but Jesus is the ultimate representation of God being God himself. So what is God like? When the leper comes before him and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. It says he was moved with compassion. Moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and touched him, which Jesus did not need to touch him to heal him. We see Jesus healing people without touching them. We see Jesus healing people when he's not even in the same place as them in the scriptures. Why did Jesus touch him? This man probably had no physical contact for who knows how long. He was a leper. People avoided him. And Jesus intentionally reaches out and touches him and says, I will be clean. And it was moved by what? He says he was moved by compassion. When the children came to Jesus and the disciples essentially said, no, 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 he's too busy. Jesus got irritated. Indignant is the word in Mark 10. He was indignant, but it was not with the children. It was with the people interfering with the children coming to him. He says, let them come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. You see great intensity in Jesus, but who is that intensity geared or pointed towards? It's pointed towards the people who hinder others from accessing God. He said in Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of God in people's faces and don't enter in yourselves. You lay heavy burdens on the backs of people and you won't lift a finger to help them. Or the money changers in the temple. We see intensity there. Whenever the religious elite would prevent people from coming to God, we see intensity. But that intensity is driven by love for people. 
And so I just want to, in fact, let me tell you about this. I had a dream last night. Um, in this dream, uh, Lacey and I were watching a movie, and in this movie, the Lord was speaking. I didn't see him physically. Uh, it was just an audible voice. But this voice that was speaking to this person was so intense and so irritated and so harsh. And then as soon as the voice was done speaking, this thick iron gate came up and separated the voice and the person that was speaking. And that is the exact opposite of what we see of the God of the Bible. That might be our idea of him, but that is the exact opposite. Instead of speaking harshly and then separating once you know, he's done speaking, Jesus, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am, what? Gentle and lowly of heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, come to me. You want rest? Come to me. I'm gentle. Think about where it says in James 1.5, if we lack wisdom, we can ask God, who gives generously to all, but then it says, without reproach. He gives it without reproach. He's not scoffing. He's not rolling his eyes. He's not disappointed that you need it. He's not insulting you. He gives it freely. One of the biggest struggles that we have in the Christian life is having a wrong view of God. And that affects everything. And I think it was Tozer, somebody can correct me on this, who said the most important thing about us is what we believe to be true about God. Because that will affect everything else. Everything. And so here in this passage, he has compassion. Is that how you see him? Because that's how he is. All right, moving on. Verse 36. Uh, 35, rather. Let's resume in verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. All right. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Just as a side note, denarii is the plural of denarius, and a denarius was, a, um, was an amount of money that a day laborer would make for working a day. So his disciples are saying, they're looking at this crowd, which is clearly sizable, because they say 200 days worth of work wouldn't provide enough money for all these people to have. Like, should we, uh, where are we to get this kind of money? And we're beginning to get an idea of the size of this crowd. This is, of course, the feeding of the 5,000. It's going to say that later in this passage, but in Matthew's account, it shows us that 5,000 was a number explicitly referring only to the adult males, because it says, and on top of that, women and children were there. So this is a massive crowd of people. And Jesus is looking at his disciples, saying, you give them something to eat. What would you do in this moment? You'd probably do the exact same thing I would do, which is probably, which is exactly what they did, which we would look at the natural and say it's impossible. But we're about to see that it wasn't impossible. It says, resuming in verse 38, And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. So, five and two. You can stay in Mark 6. I'm flipping over to John 6 very briefly. This is one of the parallel accounts of this exact same 
incident. Like I said, it's in all four of the gospel accounts. And so if you wanted to get a fully well-rounded picture, read all four. They each provide details that um, the others don't necessarily have. So in verse five of John six, it says, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? So Jesus initiates this conversation. He looks at Philip, one of his disciples, and he says, where are we going to buy bread for these people to eat? And then in verse six, it says, he said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do. I don't want to go beyond what is written. I don't want to assume things that aren't there, but I always wonder if Jesus had a little twinkle in his eye when he said this. Philip, what should we do? What are we going to do, Philip? You know, where are we to buy bread so these people may eat? Like, I wonder if Jesus almost had to fight a smile a little bit, because it says he said this to test Philip, which I just love this. Jesus was about to minister to this crowd, but he also took this moment with one of his disciples to say, let me teach you something. Let me broaden your categories. Let me teach you not to limit the Lord. Let me teach you how to think a little bit more supernaturally. It says he said this to test him, and let me just take this moment to say, when God tests, it's never for the sake of making us fail. Because the Bible says that God is not tempted with evil and he tempts no one. Tests are always to reveal authenticity and to develop and grow. And you better believe that Philip's categories expanded after this. I'm sure they did. Philip answered him that what we've already heard, this is John 6, 7, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? So we have the five loaves, we have the two fish, but then there's the question. There, that question is the crux of the matter. But what are they for so many? We only have this tiny little insignificant amount that even if we tried to divide this by 5,000 plus, what would that even mean? Would each person get a crumb? If you divided this by 5,000, but what, but what are these for so little? Mark chapter 6, resuming in verse 39. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. I love that the detail of green grass is there. Beautiful green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Amen? All right, let's wrap up. No, I'm kidding. Let's keep talking. Um, so what happened here? Because five loaves and two fish are not enough to feed thousands of people. What is the intervening variable that changed that? Say it. Jesus. Jesus. They brought the little they had to the Savior, to the Master, and in his hands, not only was it enough, but the leftovers were more than what they started with. Twelve baskets full of leftovers. If they had bypassed Jesus, we have no reason to believe that this sort of thing would have happened. 
It was as it passed through the hands of Jesus that this insignificant little amount that could not solve the problem or even put a dent in it was more than enough. So here's the the thing. You have five loaves and two fish. Every single one of you has five loaves and two fish. The scriptures clearly say that he, had, he has prepared good works ahead of time that we would walk in them. The question is, will we bring to the Lord the little we have, let him bless it, break it, and then put it back in our hands to distribute it? Because notice this. Did Jesus distribute the bread and the fish? No. Who distributed the bread and the fish? The disciples. And herein we see something very interesting that's noteworthy that we need to take, take note of. I guess that's what noteworthy means. <laughs> but we see Jesus doing what only Jesus can do. He was the only one who could multiply them. But we see him partnering with his followers and letting them do the part that they can do. This isn't an isolated incident. Think of the, uh, when Lazarus was, was raised from the dead. Jesus is the only one. They could all have said, Lazarus, come forth, and he would be dead. But Jesus came, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. Jesus has all authority, guys. Lazarus came forth. He rose from the dead. But who rolled away the stone? People. Jesus said, roll away the stone. And people did. And who unbound Lazarus? People. Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. Could Jesus not have done these things? Jesus, the very one who said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be uprooted and thrown into the heart of the sea. He could have said, stone be moved. And it would have. Yet we see a pattern through the scriptures going all the way back to the garden that God partners with his creation. Notice in the Old Testament, why did God send prophets so often? The whole office of a prophet is the reality that God works through and with people. That does not limit God's sovereignty. That does not tie his hands. But it shows how he likes to work. Because the people that are being worked through are also being changed. So, you have five and two you have five and two. And we could go a thousand different different directions right now with, well, what does that even mean? What does that look like in my life? Well, I mean, again, there could be a lot of application. There could be something that you feel like the Lord is telling you to do, whether written in black and white in his word or some sort of very specific sort of like way he's leading you. And your response might be, but what difference would that make? I'm just one person. Five and two. It was enough. Will you just take it to Jesus and then let him tell you what to do? Will you say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it, but here it is. Take it. Bless it, Lord, and break it, and then tell me what to do with it. Amen? So let me just say this clearly. You matter. You have a role to play in the kingdom of God. Like I said, good works prepared ahead of time just for you. You don't need to be a Billy Graham because we already had one of those. Okay? You should preach the gospel. We should all share the gospel, of course. That's not what I'm saying. But you're you, and God has uniquely put you where you are 
wired you the way he's wired you, gifted you the way he's gifted you. So having said that, I'm going to flip back to Matthew 28. You can turn there with me if you want as well. This is just a specific application of the truth we just discussed. Matthew 28, very last three verses of the entire gospel account here, very well-known passage of scripture, affectionately called the Great Commission. Many of you could no doubt quote it. Beginning in verse 18, this is, before I say that, this is after his death, burial, and resurrection. This is immediately before he returns to heaven. These are his last words to his disciples on earth before he returns, sits down to the right hand of the Father. Verse 18, Matthew 28. And Jesus said, or I'm sorry, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go therefore and make disciples. You know, when it comes to the Bible, unfortunately, there will be words that we don't hear in any other context outside of the scriptures, and we just kind of turn off our brains. We don't think about what they mean. They lose their significance because we don't use them in any other area, and it just becomes Christianese, right? Where it's like, okay, yeah, oh, disciples. Praise God. A disciple, let's simplify this down to its, what it is. A disciple is a follower, a learner, a pupil, an apprentice, one who follows to become like the one being followed. A Jesus follower. That's a disciple. If you're born again, you're a disciple. We follow him. Now, the Great Commission, go and make disciples. Part of making disciples, obviously, is sharing the gospel, telling other people about Jesus obviously. But I don't know about you guys, but my problems did not disappear when I became a Christian. And if they did, you should come and speak because I'm disqualified at that point, you know? But it's like my problems did not disappear. In fact, the battle began in earnest at that point. Notice it doesn't just say baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Get them saved all as well. It goes on to say, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Reach the lost. Teach the saved making disciples, learning how to walk with Jesus, having our wrong ideas about God systematically dismantled by the truth of his word, letting him into the areas of our life that we had isolated before, that we blocked off, truly allowing him to convert us, to change us. There's that instantaneous moment of conversion where we are faultless before the throne of God because of the blood of Jesus on our behalf and then begins the lifelong journey of catching up to that reality. Right? We've all, we've all experienced this. Make disciples. And he hasn't left us alone to do it. He said, I'm with you always to the end of the age. In Acts, the parallel account of this, he tells him, in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we hear that, and we're like, how on earth can I make disciples to the ends of the earth? I have enough trouble doing it here in Jerusalem. How on earth? And so we say, full-time missionaries, it's all you. 
But will we just bring the five and two that we have and say, Lord, task is far too big, but I'm available. Steve talked a minute ago about mentoring men for the master, which um, is the ministry that I'm here representing. I first attended the ministry back in 2012. I had... uh, I had just graduated from UNCW earlier that year, and at UNCW, there was a, I was running late to class one day uh, for a Spanish class, and I believe it was a spirit-sanctioned tardiness, because I, one of my classmates, that very class, was walking in, and he was using words like blessed and whatnot, and so I just said it. I'm like, are you a believer? And he's like, yeah. And at UNCW, when you find another Christian, you grab on and you don't let go. I was like, you're my friend, and this isn't optional. And we're still friends. I got lunch with him a couple weeks ago. And then later on that year, almost is right is almost right around eleven years to right around now, he invited me on a Saturday morning at seven a.m. to come visit this this meeting, mentoring men for the master. And because I was a yes man and didn't know how to say no and was conflict aversive, which thank God I don't struggle with that anymore. <laughs> I said yes. I accidentally agreed, and I was like, oh my gosh, okay, I'll just go once. I'll go once, then I'm out. Obviously, that's not how it happened. I went there. Dr. Bill Bennett, the man who founded the ministry after he retired from the pastorate, uh, Steve was talking about him, was teaching on Ephesians 5.18, and don't be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And I didn't think of it in these terms at the time, but I believe the Lord, the, the Spirit of God was saying, this is truth, this is truth, this is truth, this is truth, what you're hearing right now. But the form that it took was, I think I'll come back. I think I'll come back. When I went there, we were sitting around a round table. These people had been memorizing scripture and sharing how God had been speaking to them through the scripture, not saying, let me just memorize it as a rote activity, but let me actually internalize it in my life and listen for the voice of God. Notice in the Bible, we're commanded not to memorize scripture, but to meditate on it, which is more than just memorizing. It is pondering, it is praying through it. It's asking God to speak to you through it. It's asking him to open your eyes so that you can you know, see him through it. So I kept going. And then, at some point after this, another person came up and started speaking. And I felt the same way that many of you felt when you came in here. I thought, oh no, a guest speaker. Like, who is this? Who is this? I knew I should have slept in today. So uh, this guy's walking up. I was like, oh, where's Dr. Bennett? Who's this guy? But then he started talking. And I'm like, I don't even know what it is, but he's got it too. Time goes on. I reach out to this guy. His name's Thad. Um, you heard Steve mention him. He had been discipled by Dr. Bennett. And I had this growing desire to, for this guy to invest in me, to come alongside me, to disciple me. And then he approached me out of the blue and said, I think God wants me to disciple you. To which I said, okay. <laughs> Sounds good. I was already on that you know, same wavelength. And he came alongside me. He began to invest in me, not in a programmatic sort of way, but in a relational sort of way. He began to be very available to me, tell me to read the scriptures, and then we would talk about it. He was very instrumental in my life. He discipled me, teaching them to obey what I've commanded you. He filled that role in my life. And then about a year later, I said to him, hey, is there any possibility I could join the staff. 
of this ministry. I'd been there two years. And he said, yeah, I actually a while back told the chairman of the board that you were going to ask me to join the staff just as a testimony that this was of God. And so I had another okay moment. So here we go. And I'm still here nine years later. So why am I saying this? Well, this is what I'm saying. This whole bit, and you're probably thinking, what on earth does this have to do with fish and bread? Just hang with me. We're coming back to the five and the two. But this right here is not a public service announcement for mentoring men for the master. The two objectives here today are to glorify Jesus and to encourage you. To encourage you. Okay? This is not about mentoring men for the master. This is about the name of Jesus being lifted up and you being encouraged in your walk. So, this, before I came on staff at mentoring, before I, years before I'd even come on staff, it was Thad and Dr. Bennett. At this time, they had been praying, and Thad prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, use us to change the world. Dr. Bennett looks up mid-prayer, she was allowed to do. You've been in ministry for over 60 years. I guess you're allowed to interrupt prayers. I'm not risking it yet. Uh, he looks up and he says, Brother Thad, do you really mean that? Use us to change the world. Do you really believe that that's possible? And Thad said, I do. And Dr. Bennett said, then pray on, bro. In 2015, we got connected to Pastor Fred and Dengasi Isoy, who has spoken in this very church before. He leads crusades in Kenya, plants churches. We started partnering with him to somehow disciple these new believers that were coming to faith through these crusades. By, by the droves, thousands of people each year were coming to know the Lord and they would plant a new church. But, but then you need good leadership. You need people who are growing and maturing. You can't just throw a bunch of people who just became Christians into, you know, it's like, oh, just figure it out. It's like, that's not the biblical model. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Every Timothy needs a Paul. Every John Mark needs a Peter. So in 2015, he selected eight leaders, and we said, okay, we'll, we'll disciple these guys. And so over the course of the past eight years, that figure has gone from eight guys to over 13,000 people actively being discipled in 24 different countries, most of which are in Africa. And you might think, that's fantastic. Good for you guys. You guys, this is just five and two. That's it. Eight guys is not enough to change the continent in and of themselves. It's eight guys, but with the Spirit of God, brought and placed before the hands and like, laid at the feet of Jesus here. And if he takes it and he blesses it, then absolutely. And so we see this very truth through the ministry where now there's 13,000 people actively being discipled on a weekly basis and 3,000 people on standby. In 24 different countries. And you guys are a part of that because you guys actually help support mentoring uh, if whether or not you knew that. So thank you so much for doing that. And so you're also a part of thousands of people being discipled on a weekly basis through that. But it's five and two. That's just a simple example of what can happen. This is about Jesus, not about mentoring. And so what am I, what am I getting to right now? This is what I want to say. Here, you know, representing mentoring men for the master, there's just two things that I want to offer to you guys for anyone to whom this would sound helpful. And they're two sides of the exact same coin. Like I said, for me to be discipled, for someone to come alongside me and invest in me was life-changing. It was because it was, I mean, the Spirit of God used it, Jesus blessed it, we you know, give God all the glory, but it was life-changing. And so if you are in your Christian walk saying, there has to be more, 
than just what I'm currently experiencing. First off, I can guarantee you that there's somebody already in this church who would come alongside you and disciple you if you made this need known to the people here. They would be delighted to come alongside you, encourage you in your walk, and we all need it. We so do. I still meet with somebody on almost a weekly basis, and I hope I continue to for the rest of my life. But if you want that, come and talk to us. We're going to be at a table over here on the side. I want to be with two guys named Will, so should be just remember the name Will. You can even call me Will, but a bunch of Wills are going to be over here at this table. And let me say, the name Mentoring Men for the Master was made, you know, years ago when the ministry was founded, but since then, uh, we were led of the Lord to open up uh, it just to pretty much everyone. So there's an entire women's component of the ministry as well. So don't think, well, that's great for the dudes. Oh, well. No, just come and talk to us no matter who you are. But on the opposite side of that coin is this. If you look at the Great Commission, and if you say, I would love to make disciples, I have no idea how to do that. Just come and talk to us. We have a group of people in this ministry called e-trainers that train people all across the world remotely. Skype, FaceTime, WhatsApp, what have you. Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And I'm not here to twist anybody's arm, but just to simply extend a hand for anybody who's like, yes, I want to do this. I can tell you more information about the ministry, our weekly meetings, and all that stuff. There's more than I'm not going to get into right now. Just come to the table if you want to talk. But like I said, this isn't about mentoring men. This is about you and Jesus. So what are you doing with your five and two? Specifically when it comes to the Great Commission, telling others about Jesus, oh, they'll never believe. Just five and two. Just trust Jesus with the results. Saul of Tarsus should never have believed. Or some other area, five and two. Will you trust him with it? Will you bring it to him? Will you give him access to that? Let's pray. Lord, we do give you access. Lord, we bring what little we have and we lay it at your feet and we ask you just to show us what to do with it. Because in and of itself, it is not enough, but in the hands of the Savior, Lord, it can do far more than we could ever imagine. You are not limited, Lord. We just have to bring it to you and do what you say. So, Father, I pray that you give each person in this room wisdom, what it looks like for their next step in this area, what it looks like for them to bring five and two to you. And, Lord, if there's anybody in this room who does not know you, I pray now that you just speak to their hearts so clearly that, they, that you show them how much that you love them and how you took it upon yourself to make a way when there was no other way through Jesus and his death, burial, resurrection, his payment for our sins. And if they would but believe, they would just bend the knee to King Jesus. So please speak to their hearts, Lord. This is something only you can do. But God, we love you and we just acknowledge that we need your help. We can't do any of this without you. We're inadequate. But we know that we serve a Savior who is capable of doing everything. So Father, we love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, my brothers and sisters. Well, I hope that that was encouraging to you. And like I said, both in the introduction and in the message itself, if you would like more information about mentoring men for the master, um, being discipled or making disciples yourself, then um, we would be happy to help. And like I also said earlier, don't let the name fool you. Um, this invitation is open to all men and women. 
And if you want more information, you can email me at I just want to talk about at gmail.com, or you can go to our website, our mentoring men's website, which will be, um, I'll provide a link to that in the show notes for this episode. And there's even a contact form there you can fill out if you want, but there's more information, um, on that website and location obviously doesn't matter with technology like Skype and WhatsApp and all that sort of stuff. So if, uh, if you're interested in that, just, uh, just start a conversation with us and we will see what happens and where it goes. But in closing, I just want to talk about the Bible as a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which means that all gifts given are tax deductible. If you feel so led to give, instructions on how to do so can be found in the footer of every podcast episode description. And thank you so much to all of you who have already given. May the Lord bless you for your generosity. All right, my friends, until next time, God bless you.